Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our scripture lesson this morning, we kind of move to the Gospel of John here. John chapter 6, verse 16 to 21. There is a parallel account in Mark chapter 6, verse 47 to 52. But since we've kind of, uh, we were on the Gospel of John last week, and we'll be on it again next week, and I believe the week after, we'll just stay with the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 16 to 21. Jesus walks on water. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. This is the word of our Lord. Our message this morning is Miraculous Jesus, the Son of God. Now our scripture this morning is no doubt familiar to most of us here. And we usually refer to it as the miracle of Jesus walking on water. However, as we look at the complete account of this, as it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John, we see that there are really four different miracles that occur here. First and foremost is, of course, Jesus walking on water. Second, and we read this from Matthew, if you look at uh, Matthew's uh, description of this situation, we read that Jesus enabled Peter to also walk on water as well. Third, Jesus again calms the wind and the sea. And finally, Jesus gets into the boat and immediately they arrive at their destination. So the story continues the theme that we we saw last week. It emphasized the sovereignty of Jesus. But it also shows how the people misunderstood who he really is. So we'll take a closer look at what's happening with this particular scripture this morning of Jesus walking on water. As we remember from last week, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 people. And of course, the people wanted to make him a king. He wanted to make them their ruler, their provider, because he was able to feed them and heal them. So the crowd is still hanging around Jesus well into the evening. And as the evening wears on, the people kind of simmer down a little bit and they settle in for the night. It's at that point in time that Jesus tells his disciples to head off, get into the boat, and head off to the other side. And Jesus heads up to a mountain top and pray by himself. And he tells the disciples he will join them later. So the disciples get into the boat and they start to row out. They're in the middle of the sea, about three or four miles out. And no doubt, they were tired because they had been working hard. They have been ministering to people as well. And they're out in the middle of the the sea, and all of a sudden the storm kind of kicks up. The strong wind starts to blow. 
Think about what, what must have been going through their mind at this point in time. They had been with Jesus for quite some time. They just witnessed another miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And they too probably wanted to make him their king. And they were probably wondering, why did Jesus send us away to the other side without him? He said he's going to catch up to us later. Well, what are we supposed to do when we get to the other side? Why didn't he come with us? And why did he send us out into this storm? How's he going to get to the other side? And as they're rowing and the storm comes up, they're probably wondering all these things. And these are the two scenes we have. We have the scene of the, the disciples out in the boat, struggling in the middle of the sea, you know, with the storm. And then we have Jesus praying alone in the quietness up on the mountaintop. Jesus knows what's going on with the disciples. And so he starts walking out to meet them in the middle of the sea. And as he approaches the boat, the disciples see him and become frightened. They cannot believe their eyes and they think they are seeing a ghost. Now, honestly, that would probably be the reaction of many of us today, too. While they didn't, I'm sure, understand the law of gravity, they knew you couldn't walk on water. They knew that you can't do that. So imagine seeing a human-like figure walking on the top of the water. It's a natural response to think it's a ghost or something. You're seeing things. But Jesus senses their fear and he calms them down. He says, it is I. A more literal translation of that reads, I am. And as we know, I am is an Old Testament name of God. And as we see from Matthew's Gospel, Peter responds, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And this account, as I said, of Peter walking on the water is only in the Gospel of Matthew. And it emphasizes not only his faith, but his failing as well. And Peter often gets that recognition and that reputation. Yes, he was a faithful man, but he failed as well. Much like from our psalm this morning, a psalm of David, he was a faithful man, but he failed often as well. But at least in Peter's circumstance, we need to give him credit. He said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you, and I will. He had faith that if that was truly Jesus walking on the water, he could command Peter to do the same. <coughs> Peter was the only one of the eleven. Sometimes we condemn him, but he was the only one of the eleven that actually got out of the boat. The other eleven are still sitting in the boat, clinging to their seats, no doubt. So Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. And when Peter realizes what he's doing, he becomes a little distracted and he starts to sink in the water. So he cries out to his master. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus stretches out his hand and pulls him into the boat. The disciples marvel at this and say, truly you are the Son of God. Suddenly they're at their destination, they're at the shore, and the lesson is over for now. Well, what can we get out of these lessons this morning? 
Obviously, there's many different things when you start to really look at it thoroughly and in depth. There's many different lessons you can get from it, such as the idea of individual prayer. Jesus often went off by himself in a quiet place and prayed to the Father. Or the idea of the sovereign power of God at work in our life and at work in the world. But I want to focus on something a little bit different this morning. As I said, there are really four different miracles happening here. Jesus walking on water, Peter walking on water, the calming of the storm, and immediately being transported to their destination. There's four miracles here that Jesus performs. Now many of the quote-unquote scholars uh, over the years have tried to minimize or explain away these miracles of Christ. For example, the feeding of the 5,000 that we saw last week. They try to say that eh, the crowd really had, had their own food. The people really brought their own food. They just didn't want to fess up at the beginning. But whenever they saw that uh, the little boy came forward with his generosity and, and they kind of were talking around, they realized everyone had enough food as it was, so it wasn't really a big deal. And of the water, uh, walking on the water, they say, yeah... The disciples were really almost to their destination anyways. And it was probably foggy and they couldn't see in the night with the storm. So they didn't realize how close to shore they really were. So it wasn't really a miracle Jesus did to get them to their destination. They were already there. They just didn't realize it. Or the walking on water, they said, yeah, it was really Jesus was just walking along the shoreline. And it looked like he was walking on the water. Or maybe there was a little ridge or a coral reef in there that he was walking on. It really wasn't a miracle that he was doing. I don't believe it. I think the scholars have hearts of stone. When I read of miracles in the Bible, I believe them as wrote. And that's part of the problem of the religious scholars, not only of today, but going back to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. Their hearts had been hardened and they could not see the power of God through Christ. Now, I'm not saying it's easy for us. It wasn't easy for the disciples. They had a hard time believing in everything they saw and everything they experienced. And even though they confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, they had trouble believing things and understanding things as well. As we'll read later on, uh, uh, probably later in August, uh, maybe in September, of uh, the feeding of the 4,000, whenever Jesus uh, kind of starts to minister to the Gentiles, the feeding of the 4,000, the disciples again kind of say, well, how are we going to feed these people? And just a few weeks earlier, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. But the disciples kind of were thinking still from the earthly perspective. And maybe they couldn't figure out why God had chosen them to be his followers and his workers. And maybe they thought, you know, like we do today, if, if it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. We often hear that. If you think you're getting such a good deal and it's too good to be true, it probably is. And that's our human perspective. But maybe... Like the crowd, they didn't understand the real purpose and reason for Jesus' coming to earth yet. 
the disciples were unable to comprehend what was happening in the miracles of Christ and realized that he was there working in their lives. But what about us? Do we believe these miracles? Do we believe in the stories of the life of Christ? Yeah, I would say most of us must most of us do. Most of us probably were raised in a more literal interpretation of the Bible. And today there's many again scholarly people that kind of come up with different allegories and different meanings for different things. Well, it it doesn't really mean that. You know, Jesus really didn't feed 5,000 people. There was already food there, and he just divvied it out. I believe in the miracles, the literal interpretation of what the life of Christ was like. But beyond that, do you believe that he's working in your life today? Do you believe that he's performing miracles in your life? Things that we cannot account for, things that we cannot explain. The Bible has so many wonderful truths in it, to be sure. But do you believe in those truths, and do you believe those truths apply to your life today, and do you apply them to your life today? Do you live as though you believe in the Bible, believe in the Word of God? Do you live trusting that Jesus has His arm out, ready to save you, like He saved Peter? And I often wonder, if Peter had not cried out, and I always get the, the picture that as soon as he started to sink, Peter cried out. But at what point in time, how, how much below the water would he have to try to cry, cry out? And I think that's what happens to some of us today. Rather than when we immediately get ourselves into trouble or when we need help, rather than cry out to God, we try to fix the problem from our human perspective. And we've seen this before with the feeding of the 5,000 in Philip last week. Rather than immediately coming to God and saying, coming to Jesus and saying, I don't know how we're going to feed these people, but I know you can do it. He tried to calculate it out by himself. And Peter, from this, walked on water. And as he got distracted, he started to sink. And I would, I would venture to say it wasn't much below uh, his ankle was underwater and he was crying out to God. He was crying out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his arm and saved him, pulling him into the boat. And we can do that today too. While we're not often finding ourselves in a situation where we're literally sinking in water, we can often find ourselves sinking into despair, sinking into depression, sinking into economic trouble, financial trouble, or whatever troubles happen to be in our lives. And no doubt as we all age, we will continue to run into health troubles. That's just a natural part of this world. And oftentimes those health problems can get many people down. And do you reach out to God and say, Lord, save me. When you do that, honestly, and from the heart, he will. He will save you. He's not going to make all of your problems go away. He's not going to uh, magically put a million dollars in your bank account. He could do it. If that was his will, he would. But he'll see you through whatever situation you are in if you ask him to reach out 
and help you. And we can do that by reading His Word, studying His Word, living His Word. As we cling to Him, He will not let us go. And we need to remember that. He is always there for us. Let us close with a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for giving us Your Word that has been so well preserved over these many years. Strengthen us to continue on in the faith as our fathers have. Purify our minds and cleanse our hearts as we prepare to commune with you and with each other this morning. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Our communion reading this morning is on the back of the bulletin. It's just a prayer of confession this morning. As always, I like to to do different readings and things for communion. Let us pray this prayer of confession together. O Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned against You in our thoughts, words, and deeds. We have had anxieties about the future. Even though we proclaim You as Lord, we have failed to love our neighbors, and we have disobeyed Your commands. Have mercy upon us, Lord Jesus. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that we may walk in your ways and serve you in grace and love. This we ask in your holy name. Amen.